Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money, whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Hello and welcome again to Money Tips. This is Charles Kelly. Uh, I'd like to talk to you today about peer-to-peer lending and crowdfunding type schemes, which have become very popular in the last few years, certainly in the last 10 years, and is giving the banking monopoly a bit of a run for its money. Uh, crowdfunding and peer-to-peer lending are two examples of models which have worked very well and helped to raise billions of pounds and dollars for projects uh, whilst giving investors a greater return sometimes 10 20 times what they would have got from a normal bank deposit account put simply these platforms are a way of bringing together investors and people who want to borrow money and putting them together in a more direct way than you would get through a traditional bank route effectively they're cutting out the banks And the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, estimated that in the UK around 275,000 people are using these platforms or basically websites. They're called platforms. So it's quite substantial numbers now. And I remember going to a seminar with a guy called Kevin Green, who's very much into this. And he said um, he should get into this because they're going to crack down on it. They're going to crack down. He's trying to do his Welsh accent, but I can't do it. He said he, he predicted that the the banks who don't like competition of this sort will eventually get the government to crack down on it. And I've seen this before. The banks didn't like uh, companies getting involved with money transfer. You know, for instance, you can send, you know, small amounts of money to the middle of nowhere, six, seven thousand miles away on the other side of the world for like 10 pounds or eight pounds, whereas the banks used to charge a fortune and take two weeks to do this sort of thing. So, and they started restricting companies who who run these uh, money transfer schemes restricting their bank accounts in the UK they did the same thing with check cashing services to friends of mine who were in that business but anyway that's another subject um now I, I receive dozens of emails from crowdfunding companies offering various property related type deals such as you know conversion of a commercial building in Scarborough they're looking for 400,000 uh, with a resale value of whatever you know and, and they they send these deals through and they give you a warning and then on the day the deal is launched and goes live you know within a day of that or a few hours sometimes i get another email saying it's fully subscribed so it seems it's quite a hot market a lot of people are getting into these schemes and putting their money in which may be one of the reasons why the fca financial conduct authority are concerned that some may not fully understand all of the risks now traditional banks of course take in deposits and pay you as a depositor, quite a low rate, sometimes 0.2, sometimes almost zero, you know, 0.01% for, for your money being with that bank. And they more or less guarantee that you'll get that money back at any time. And the government have a deposit guarantee of 85000 So it's very rare that you would lose money in one of the, the big high street banks. Of course, if everybody went into the bank tomorrow and said, I want my money, then the banks wouldn't have that money because they've lent that money out. It's called fractional reserve lending, where for the deposits they get in, they lend it out many, many times over. I think it goes back to the days when gold was deposited with bankers, maybe the Rothschilds or one of these these old bankers, 
and they would give you a certificate for that gold, almost like a bit of paper money, really, but it's backed by that gold. And so you wouldn't have to carry the gold around in your pocket or keep it in your house where it could be stolen. They would put it in a vault and give you a certificate. And it, it was found that then most people didn't come back for their gold that often and didn't need to, to touch it. So they were able to then issue more certificates for the gold that they held. So they might have 10 pieces of gold and they've given out 10 certificates, but then they found, well, actually people don't come back for their gold very often. So why don't we issue 20 certificates to people and get that money for those certificates? So, and, and they started lending out money that they didn't really have, which is kind of what most of the banking system is all about, printing money, lending money they don't have. So that, that's the way the banks work. But largely your money is pretty much guaranteed in the bank. However, with a, with a crowdfunding or peer-to-peer platform, as the depositor or the investor, you're much more directly involved with the borrower. And, you know, the risks are obviously high, but they give you a higher return. This could be around 6 to 8%. Some have even gone a bit higher, 10 12% in, in some cases per annum. Uh, obviously, it's a greater risk, but the return is many times higher. Now, in a way, I mean, stock markets and futures markets and commodity markets are glorified versions of peer-to-peer crowdfunding platforms, aren't they, really? You know, you've got the stock guy there, the jobber who's, who's offering the, the shares and you've got the broker bringing it. And it's all that industry has come out of being a platform. In those days, it was probably started in coffee shops in the city, but it's just a platform to introduce investors to, to savers and borrowers and, and, and to companies who need to raise capital. But getting back to peer-to-peer lending then, projects can range from investing in startup businesses to property deals to to anything really. I mean, Kickstarter in America raises billions for new technology projects. So there are lots of different ways and of running these schemes, but most of the ones I see in the UK are property based. So let's say, in other words, if I had £20,000 to invest and that was spare and I, you know, I could risk that amount of money and I left it in the bank, what would I get? 0.25%, 0 0.2, 0.1%, maybe half a percent if I put it into a long-term, longer-term thing or an, or an ISA. Now, my money would be virtually guaranteed and safe. However, if I put it into a crowdfunding peer-to-peer -peer lending project, I could earn 8% per annum over a one-year period and maybe 8% per annum for two years. So, I mean, that works out to between 16 and 32 times higher than I would get in the bank. And that's a lot of difference. There's a lot of money, a lot of big difference. So now you know why the banks have the biggest buildings in every major city and, you know, effectively own the world and run governments, if you believe all the conspiracy theories and, you know, David Icke and people like that. Sorry, I'm not going to go at David Icke. But, you know, if you, if you look at it the way the banks can manipulate the world and, and governments and markets, it, it is it is actually quite true. Now, Whilst these figures of peer-to-peer -peer lending will barely dent the, the, the bank's dominance in the market, I'm sure that the bank banking establishment would rather not have this pesky competition and they, they, they probably feel they're mosquitoes, which they'd like to just swat away or, or poison. Uh, I mean, it seems the industry have been fairly successful in lobbying the government to bring in more regulation. And this is coming in quite soon by December. Uh, they will be restricting the amount that people can put of their savings into these schemes to 10%. And they will bring another test called an appropriateness test where potential investors will need to go through a process before they can put the money into a peer-to-peer -peer scheme. And this follows probably not just this, but it follows when uh, Lendy, a uh, peer-to-peer lending went bust. 
leaving up to 90,000 investors. So that's quite a big scheme. 90,000 investors unsure about whether or not they will get their, their money back. Now, many of the schemes, I have to say, are run very well and they've, they've always paid back investors and there hasn't been a problem. But this is the first sort of chink in, in this armour of peer-to-peer lending that, that we're seeing. Now, there, there was a programme the other day on BBC Radio 4, You and Yours, the consumer programme, which went into this in more depth. And it seems to me that the company was run by pretty incompetent people who didn't really do their full due diligence because obviously a lot of their lend, their loans are, are in default now. It's a bit like a, a letting agent, isn't it? That, you know, you, you say, get me a tenant and they don't care about the quality of the tenant. They just get the tenant and put it in your flat and just to get their commission and then they're out of the deal. They don't care. It seems to me that this company was a bit like that. In fact, one of the, the people they featured was was a guy raising money through them and he, he, his guy was Leslie Martins, and he had a business which was to build a series of uh, holiday chalets or holiday cottages. And he, he got all this arranged through Lendy. And then he said Lendy just kept changing the, the goalposts and uh, they were misrepresenting the deal and kept changing things at the last minute. And eventually the project collapsed because the money wasn't there. And it really caused him a big problem. He lost his house. He lost his marriage. He's lost everything. He's really down down and out now, all because of this incompetent lender. Uh, but, you know, I, I think with any of these things, although competition is great for the market and it's enabled investors to earn more money in their month, earn more interest on their money and borrowers to have more outlets to raise funds, which perhaps sometimes banks would turn their nose up at. As always, you need to take financial advice before making any of these types of decisions. And I would certainly not put all of my savings into a scheme like this. It is definitely a high risk thing. And it's not the same as putting your money into a deposit account or a building society down, down in the high street. Definitely not for the faint hearted. So do understand the risk that you could lose money in these schemes as people have lost money with uh, Lendy. So just moving on then in other types of crowdfunding, funerals are now even being crowdfunded. And charities and things like that are, are crowdfunding money. There was a case against Boris Johnson where they crowdfunded the, the legal fees. But funerals are becoming a problem because many people are dying and they haven't got the money to pay for a funeral. The family haven't got the money to pay for the funeral. And some of them have gone through these uh, prepaid funeral plans. But anyway, the people that have not got the money can go to a, a, an organisation called Down to Earth, which is crowdfunding, which raises money for funerals. This was highlighting the fact that crematoriums have put up their prices by 21% a year. So that that's that's crowdfunding can, can cover a quite a wide range of things. And in other financial news, the FCA talking about banks are, are cracking down on banks' excessive overdraft fees, which apparently bring in two billion. Banks will be banned from charging daily overdraft fees as well as the interest they charge and excessive interest on unauthorized overdrafts. And they'll have to display their money in their fees in terms of money. They'd have to monetize their fee. In other words, instead of saying it will cost you 10 percent, they have to say it will cost you 10 pounds per every hundred. Perhaps they think people can't work out the percentages themselves. But, you know, that's what they're doing. These changes will come in next April 2020. But at the end of the day, the banks will still have a, a monopoly on where people go to do their banking and where People can get credit and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's it's going to be the big five or six banks in the high street that you'll see. And the FC actually say that banks are making £10 per pound borrowed more in deprived areas than in affluent areas. 
and this is true really but when you see people who are in the poorer sections of society they tend to end up with payday lenders uh, bad lending companies and pay very excessive interest rates and they also get a raw deal with banks they can't have proper bank accounts sometimes they haven't got access to credit cards and overdrafts and, and cheaper forms of credit but that's the way things are they even pay more for their electricity now when i worked in the banks years ago I quickly realized that banks want people to be in debt. You know, they love it when, you know, you've got a customer who's always in debt. I may have said earlier that we had a customer who was a city trader who was always overdrawn and used his, his quarterly bonuses to pay off his overdraft. And his personal manager, he loved him. He, he, was, he was his favorite customer. And he said, oh, he's, he needs a new credit card again. The wife's spending more money. And, you know, they bought, they bought a piano and they want a loan for this £6,000 piano. So, you know, they loved him and they loved people who've been in debt, being in debt, provided they can pay it off. And I worked near a section where they had three or four people who dealt with customers who went overdrawn through unauthorized overdrafts. And of course, they would bounce all their direct debits. So if they were overdrawn by, say, five pounds, that would mean that their direct debits, their payments going out, maybe their mortgage was then bounced. And then they would be charged 25 pounds for the privilege of bouncing that per item. So it pushed people sometimes hundreds of pounds into debt at a stroke just by being a little bit over over their overdraft limit or perhaps going overdrawn without authorization. So it, it was quite a serious thing, but the banks made a lot of money out of it. But at the same time, they had to employ staff just to deal with these people who are the same crowd of people that went overdrawn every month virtually. Now, I think a good way of um, managing your money, if you're not able to do it through you know your normal account, you're not able to, to manage that is to use what's called one of these, one of these Monzo cards, which um, is like a very pink, is that magenta? Is it pink or is it orangey pink? I don't know. But it's a, it's a nice, attractive looking card. Uh, Monzo Bank required a new challenger bank. Uh, I think they initially raised their money through some sort of crowdfunding. Uh, they certainly did a share issue through crowdfunding, which was well oversubscribed. They're quite a good card. It's, it's done through an app on your phone. So you, you, you go through the, the app, the application process is very, very fast. In fact, um, I, I got it within you know, 10, 15 minutes I was on. And then the card came a few days later. It was great. And the good thing about, unlike you know most cards, when you, you use the card, the app immediately tells you how much you've spent. So if I go in and tap it on the machine for a coffee, on the app, it comes up, cha-ching, and you get this little till sign come up, and it says you've just spent £2.50. More importantly, I used it for outgoing payments where you're paying for something not by direct debit by but by card each month where things can get a bit out of hand sometimes you don't know until maybe six weeks after that someone has debited your card with monzo they, they tell you straight away and in fact when click had taken too much money off of my card by upgrading me without my authorization it was 200 dollars difference and i found out through monzo so thank you very much monzo and I was able to go to ClickFunnels and tell them, no, I, I'm, I'm on this plan, not that plan. So give me my money back. And maybe after about 10 emails later, I eventually got it back from ClickFunnels. Uh, but it was only through Monzo. That could have gone on for six months without me knowing if I hadn't been checking my statements regularly, which you should do. So that's a good good one to go for, Monzo. There's still a relatively small challenger bank if you like so i wouldn't put your life savings with them because you know we don't know how many of these banks and these new banks will be around in a few years time uh, they've already had to raise extra money through a share issue recently so just watch out for that i'd say uh, but it's a very good little app especially if you have trouble managing your money i use it for business expenses because then i know you know it's there 
and all my business expenses are in that that place without me having to have a business account. Okay, lastly then, aging population figures out in 2018 said that the number of people in this is globally, the number of people over the age of 64 officially eclipsed the number of under age, people of under under the age of five, according to the report from Our World in Data. This is the first time in history that the number of people over 64 is more than the, the, the number of young people under age of five, at least as long as we've been tracking records. And I mean, the reason for this, that the article I was reading was that they were looking at companies which invest in things that are uh, cater for the seniors, Machu Picchu and um, companies like Silver Nest, which is a platform to help elderly homeowners rent rooms to younger people, younger roommates. Um, yeah, it gives them a bit of money, it has a younger person around, etc. There's another one here, Steadywear, which is a, a sort of a glove that helps elderly people hold cups and coffee cups. I mean, there's all sorts of things in this market. And uh, it's this grey, grey market, if you like, is a growing market and it will grow for a long time to come. The cost of social care in the UK is very much highlighted in the news that, you know, they're running out of money for social care because there are so many people living longer and longer and living much longer than we expected. We also have the pensions time bomb, which is where the number of young people paying taxes and supporting the number of people in retirement is changing. And, you know, there are more people in retirement now who need supporting. And when the things like the state old age pension scheme was devised, people didn't live much more into their 60s, certainly from a man age 65, wasn't expected to live more than a few years. Now they're living to 80 and even 90. I know several people in their late 80s and 90s who are you know, strong as an ox playing golf and riding bikes, you know, they're going to go on for, for a long time. And it was never envisaged that their pension scheme would pay out for that long. So I, I don't know what's going to happen when the younger people coming up to, to their retirement, how they're going to be supported and whether or not the government is going, going to be able to support their pensions and their social care. So lots of changes are going to be happening in that market. But just on a simple level, providing services for the elderly in your area can be provided by a small business or a one-man band you know there are over a million people unemployed in the UK and many of them you see on the TV saying there are no jobs in this area there's nothing for me to do I can't get a job and yet there are also millions of elderly people who say that they can't find people to do jobs for them and it's not just about providing care which is you know pretty much a regulated market people need you know who are not so mobile anymore need simple things you know a handyman a handy woman to do small repairs to to do things like gardening, uh, even shopping. Uh, it could be something as simple as moving stuff from their house into a loft or into a garage or clearing out their garage or putting stuff down at the dump. Even changing a light bulb can be challenging for someone who can't climb up a stepladder or a ladder, especially those ones that you know you put in the ceiling, those uh, pyramid-shaped ones that you put in the ceiling. And you know, I hate changing those. I don't like changing them, let alone you know someone having to stand up and reach the whole ceiling to, to get get them out. They're fiddly little things. So there are lots of things that can be done. And some of these services obviously are provided by family members or volunteers, but that's not always possible. But there's still people who need small things done. And you know, whether you do this as a voluntary basis, but there are people that are willing to pay for these services, and you know they have the money to pay for them. So 
these are jobs that larger firms are not really interested in doing. And, you know, a, a building tradesman is probably not going to be interested in repairing a fence or, you know, repairing a handle on a door or something. They'll say, oh, you need a new fence. You need a new door. You need a new house. You know, I, I had a fence going wrong recently and, and everyone wanted to, to just change the whole fence. But it was just one panel or a couple of panels that needed replacing. So it, it's not easy. Now, I know a guy who came here to the UK as a refugee many years ago from I think it was somewhere like Bosnia, Kosovo. And I met him five or six years ago when I found him through my local letting agency when I needed a handyman. Now, he would at that time do any jobs. He would do gardening, small building work, moving stuff around, taking stuff to, you know, dispose of stuff. He was always available, worked hard, and his prices were, were pretty low and fair. And he was great, you know, a very friendly guy, very reliable. Now, when I met him, he had an old banger of a van, he was always available and I used to see him in the evening driving. I said, like, what's he doing? He's in a Tesco van. He was delivering food for Tesco in the evening to supplement his business while he, he worked. He wasn't at home watching the news and complaining. He was out working all the hours. And now when I see him, he's got a nice new van and he's he's only doing bigger jobs now because he, he doesn't want to do the smaller jobs anymore. In fact, he's very, very busy because he's he's almost a victim of his own success. He's been so successful that he's really in demand now. So when you want him, you have to book him up for, for longer in advance. And, you know, I can barely get hold of him sometimes. Uh, his prices have gone up. Well, fair enough. Why not? You know, he's got to charge what he's worth and he's more selective about the work he takes on, as I say. But now that's created another market for someone else because he won't... The, the little jobs. So I need another one like him, really. So anyway, he's built all his business by word of mouth. And, and that's great. Good luck to him. And good luck to any of you that can can do these sorts of work, because I know it, it is a big market. In fact, a care company I know, a lady who runs a care company, once said to me that she'd be better off just doing, you know, providing cleaning works and handiwork and uh, little building stuff than, than regulated care work, which had to go through a local authority and was so regulated that, you know, every time somebody fell over, there was a big investigation. They had trouble getting their money, getting paid. And the margins were so small between what they got paid per hour by the local authority and what they had to pay out to people. And staffing was just a nightmare. And, and yet cleaning companies come in, they're charging 10, 15 pounds an hour. And the cleaners are earning more than care workers. And care workers have to be trained and regulated. And, you know, they've got liabilities. If things go wrong, they can be banned from providing care. So, you know, whereas a cleaner doesn't have any of that. So in some ways she thought, well, why don't I just do cleaning? I don't know what she did in the end, but she said she could make more money providing cleaning than care. So there you go. That's it for now. I hope that's been in interest to you. Check out that Monzo card and uh, watch out for that peer-to-peer -peer stuff. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Charles Kelly, bringing you money tips to help you save, earn, invest, accumulate, and ultimately enjoy more money. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 